This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, January 10th. I'm Julia Caulfield. And I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, sheriff deputies respond to Norwood stabbing. A state of the town address. Your 2023 library wrapped. And a mountain weather forecast. San Miguel County Sheriff deputies responded to a stabbing incident in Norwood on Sunday night. We had um, two gentlemen get into a fight at a residence, and one decided to get a knife and stab the other one um, in the stomach. Gave him a, a fairly significant laceration in the abdomen. That's San Miguel County Sheriff Bill Masters. Fortunately, the uh, person's going to survive and a victim will, and um, the other person's going to have to answer for it in court. According to a press release from the sheriff's office, the two individuals are brothers. The victim was transported to Montrose Memorial Hospital for treatment. The alleged suspect, identified as Harlan Benno, was apprehended and taken into custody at the San Miguel County Jail. Masters notes the incident wasn't a random act, and residents don't need to be more concerned when it comes to crime than they were before. We have a relatively low crime rate throughout our our county. I wouldn't uh, tell people they have to be extra vigilant, but we are seeing a little uptick in, in uh, assaults. Still, when we look at uh, most of our crimes of violence against another person, Most of the time it happens, or the suspect is someone that you know. Uh, Even more often it is someone that you share a domicile with, someone that you've invited into your home. And so um, to be concerned about random acts, I'm going to go out on a limb and say I, I wouldn't be any more concerned in our community than any other and probably a little bit less. According to Masters, the suspect was taken into custody without trouble, but the incident is one more example of local law enforcement being forced to handle tough cases on their own. This is the kind of incidents that our deputies have to handle often all by themselves. So this one deputy had to go and uh, control the scene control the people that he found at the scene, arrest the suspect, give first aid to the victim, and uh, do all that in a matter of, of minutes, just a couple of minutes. That happens a lot in our county. Our deputies are often working alone on these rather dangerous calls. Benno was taken into custody at the San Miguel County Jail and charged with second-degree assault. He was released on bond on Tuesday. During the first town council of each new year, the Telluride mayor has the duty and honor of delivering a state of the town address. This past Tuesday, newly elected mayor Teddy Errico gave his first ever state of the town. And KOTO now brings you that speech in full. 2023 in Telluride, Colorado certainly was a good year, but not without its challenges. Especially for me as your newly elected mayor. The town of Telluride is making progress on many projects that will go a long way to ensuring Telluride remains a vibrant community. The Voodoo Affordable Housing Project is set to be complete in the fall of 2024, and the town is remodeling building F at Chandoka and in the planning phases for two more projects, 
the Tower House Canyonlands, and the Virginia Placer 2A and 2B projects. The town passed an ordinance approving the water and wastewater agreement for society term with Genesee Properties. We continued the building of synergy with the local governments, which will go a long way in solving our major issues, such as building that wastewater plant, a new medical center, new gondola and fund funding, and solving the ongoing crisis of affordable housing. The town of Telluride is also taking action with an active role for creating more reliable childcare and is making great strides toward an attitude of inclusion with all members of the community. We even paid off the Valley floor bonds. But we are now on to 2024, and I truly believe every person should have their own word for the upcoming year and how it can lead you into the future. My word, it's unity. We must unify the community and work together to solve the challenges we face. It's not going to be easy, but we have to show more empathy and respect for one another if we are to remain the best ski town in North America. We rely on our community to embrace a shared positive mindset, empowering us to act swiftly and efficiently in achieving our goals. The town of Telluride, led by Scott Robson, has assembled an amazing team that will do great things for Telluride. Every day, the staff of the town of Telluride continues to impress me with their selfless attitudes and unwavering commitment, unwavering commitment to enhancing our beloved community. The town council is comprised of a mix of people who really care about our community and want to see it prosper. This attitude has been contagious to the boards and commissions as well, and together we can create the action needed to make us better. Our commitment to improving transparency remains unwavering, and the town of Telluride is currently communicating and informing residents, second homeowners, and tourists more effectively than ever before, and it will continue to get even better. As we strive to hit the extensive goals set for 2024, what we also need is you. The Telluride community has visionaries and a level of intelligence and passion that are rarely seen elsewhere. Whether big or small, one issue or many, actively volunteering or just giving us feedback, we need locals to get involved in government. Keep in mind, many of the challenges we face weren't caused by your elected officials or the current staff, and some were a result of circumstance, like the recession and pandemic. But our 2024 objectives are very detailed and very clear, and with your help and our dedication, we will persevere and maybe even have some fun along the way. That was Telluride Mayor Teddy Errico offering a State of the Town address at Town Council this Tuesday. The mayor will offer his next State of the Town come mid-year. We all know it's the best thing about Telluride. Greater even the bumper sticker claims than the skiing. It's the Wilkinson Public Library. What stood out in the past year down at the library? For director Sarah Landerview, it was the community. I think the biggest thing for the library in 2023 was the return of people. Um, program attendance was up 43% and visitors to the library was up 20% from the year before. So we're crawling out of the pandemic and people are back 
to enjoy the library. Just how many people are enjoying the Wilkinson Library might shock you. We had over 177,000 people come through the doors last year. That's nearly as many library visits as people living in Salt Lake City, if you're counting. And at LanderU, it's also more visits than items checked out. As a public library, we are interesting in that our visits are more than our circulation. And that happened again last year for the first time in a few years. Public Services Manager Jill Wilson adds those visits make the library a vibrant community hub and a place for everyone. Uh, There's always something going on. There's a program every day, pretty much, Mm -hmm. whether it be teen, tween, or adult, or Mm -hmm. for very littles. um, There's just, we have so much going on, and it's not just books bringing people into libraries anymore. It's really the connections. So, And also just for people to find people in the community that they can connect with that they otherwise might never meet. So it's just a really nice way that we're able to kind of facilitate that. To accompany the return of people, the library also got a remodel in the past year, which added new shelving, new seating, and a whole new look upstairs, as well as a permanent home for the library's collection of unusual items downstairs, says Wilson. And people, when they first walk in, it's the first thing they see when they come to the front desk. They say, oh my gosh, you know, is, are you selling these things? No, we're checking them out. <laughs> You can check it out for free. I can't believe you can check this out from the library. So there, that, that's that been a dream of mine to have that. How about the things that didn't change in 2023? The most checked out books of fiction, actually, says Lander Yu. Two of the books were on the 2022 <laughs> list. Very similar. So <laughs> Lessons in Chemistry was on the list, and it's on it again this yeah. year. And also um, Horse by Geraldine Brooks was on the list two years in a row. And so the new one this year was Demon Copperhead, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners will will be familiar with by Barbara Kingsolver. For Spanish language books, The Self-Help Tome and Cuentra Tu Persona Vitamina took the top spot. Continues Wilson. Then we have 1984, Mil And then you have Lecciones de Química. So uh, that the uh, the lessons in chemistry was also one of the top titles in, on the Spanish books as well. The number one nonfiction title was The Wager by David Gran, who is known for his engaging works of history, including the book which became one of this year's big films, Killers of the Flower Moon. Also in 2023, more and more people were checking out digital books and resources. What's interesting is that our print circulation continues to decrease. So we have saw an 8% decrease in that, but the digital collection is growing and the circulation of that went up 10%. It just gets bigger and bigger every year. So, you know, we're serving, serving print and digital at the same time. We live in both of those worlds and so do our patrons. Looking on to the year to come, Lander, you said the library is open and ready to serve. We have the most amazing staff, and anybody listening should stop by the library, say hi, come in. I'm sure you'll you'll find find what you're looking for, or just have a nice conversation with the staff person. You know, we're open seven days a week, almost every day out of the year. So we're a little bit different, but we're here, and we're you know, hoping that you stop by. Sign up for the library's e-blast at telluridelibrary.org. That's a once-a-month email to keep you current on all the happenings down at Wilkinson. Or just stop by the library, say hello, and find out more.
The town of Telluride is cleaning up its construction noise ordinance. Uh, the changes would, would require that construction be considered a nuisance between 6 p.m. and 8 a.m. Monday through Friday, uh, between the hours of 6 p.m. and 9 a.m. on Saturday, and at any time on Sunday. That's Telluride Senior Planner Ron Quarles speaking at town council this week. Telluride's current noise ordinance is a bit of a mess, with different hours applying to different activities and complex language. The updated guidelines bring all types of construction under one guideline. So moving forward, contractors and residents will know when noise is allowed and when it isn't. And just to reiterate, those hours when construction noise is permitted will be 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. during the week and 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. on Saturdays, with Sunday set aside for quiet. The rule only applies to contractors or subcontractors, not homeowners performing work themselves. Town Council passed the updated code unanimously on first reading. The code will return for a second and final vote at a future Town Council session. We've heard about ringing in the new year, but what about drumming? The community of Rico will be celebrating the first new moon of the year with a drum and chant circle. Participants are encouraged to bring their own drums and rattles if you have them. The celebration will take place at the Rico Church on Thursday, January 11th at 7 p.m. Message EK at 970-708-0707 for more information. A new report on Colorado's climate predicts warmer and drier conditions going forward. The study from Colorado State University shows the state's annual snow totals and stream flows going down by as much as 30 percent by the middle of the century. That has implications for the water supply across the southwest, since about two-thirds of the Colorado River starts as snow in the state of Colorado. The predictions for high temperatures also means more evaporation. A thirstier atmosphere could suck water out of the soil, keeping it out of the streams and rivers, usually filled by snowmelt and runoff. The 2024 legislative session began on Wednesday at the Colorado State Capitol. In her opening speech, House Speaker Julie McCluskey called on lawmakers to treat each other with respect after last year's contentious lawmaking term. That means raising respectful questions that further our desire to explore the subject at hand. It means listening and appreciating members' responses, putting down your phone, getting off of social media, and having real conversations with one another. McCluskey said House leadership is developing specific guidelines for keeping conversations civil on the chamber floor. House Minority Leader Mike Lynch also called for civility in his opening remarks. Lawmakers introduced a number of bills today. They include one measure that failed last year that would allow for overdose prevention centers. Proceedings in the House were briefly disrupted by pro-Palestinian demonstrators shortly after the opening gavel. The Environmental Protection Agency announced on Tuesday that nine school districts in Colorado will get low and zero emission school buses. The Boulder Valley School District will get two electric school buses through the multi-million dollar EPA grant. 
but they won't be the district's first electric buses. Four years ago, Boulder became Colorado's first school district to add electric buses to its fleet. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KGNU and Report for America's Jackie Sedley took a ride on one of the electric buses and brings us this report. The history of the school bus can be traced as far back as the late 1800s, when kids were taken to school in repurposed horse-drawn wagons. It's been a constant in the culture of education, the socialization within education, for over 130 years now. Kids all joining together on the bus to and from school, making friends or maybe enemies along the way. I went on a bus recently on one of the routes through the Boulder Valley School District. But it wasn't just your average school bus. It was an electric school bus. The Boulder Valley School District is leading the charge on electric school buses. They were the first district in Colorado to get one back in 2019. They purchased that bus through an EPA grant for clean school buses, and that saved them a lot of money. Without any grants, our first electric bus was $361,000. And to compare that to a regular like propane or diesel bus that we have, they're roughly like $140,000. Wow. That's Andrew Thompson. He's the fleet manager at BVSD, Boulder Valley School District, and walked me through the intricacies of electric school buses. He told me that right now the district owns six electric school buses in total, all of which have been purchased through grants with little cost to the district. So we're currently running six electric school buses, but we only have one charger with two ports on it. So currently we're only operating two buses. We're working on organizationally operating four buses on that one charger, charging two in the morning, two in the midday, both get a full charge and then we can just keep that rotation going. Having only one charger for six buses creates a large barrier, but Thompson told me they have plans for a joint charging facility with Via Mobility, as well as the city of Boulder and CU Boulder. It'll have repair facilities, vehicle storage, charging, and training centers for students and technicians. It'll be at their Lafayette terminal, and that project is set to kick off in February. That site will have 10 electric chargers installed, and at the end of this, they'll be operating seven school buses out of there, and we'll be operating two out of Boulder. Thompson says they're about to get three more buses through the Colorado Clean School Bus Grant, and have tentatively been awarded 10 more of those buses. Thompson's committed to integrating electric buses into his fleet, and so are many of the drivers. Everybody who's driven one loves it. They would much rather drive an electric bus than they would their diesel bus. I think they like the instant torque on the on takeoff, so as soon as the light turns green, they hit the throttle and, and they're going. There are some caveats. For instance, the buses can't go on every route. One driver referred to them as fair-weather buses in passing while I was walking around the lot, and one driver told me they took an electric school bus on a test drive and got stuck on a mountain route. Apparently, it was an issue with the cooling system. But Thompson says that this doesn't pose that big of a problem in the grand scheme of the routes they have. I think when we analyze our fleet and we, we look at what routes these buses with current technology could really excel on, there, there's plenty of flatland routes that these buses can easily adapt into. Um, right now we're currently working with some third-party fleet analyzers to look at our, our fleet as a whole, what buses can be used, replaced with electric, and then coming up with a solid game plan on how to get there. One of the main problems with going in the mountains, though, is the state requires a secondary braking system on school buses. 
and right now there is no sort of secondary braking system on there. It does have regenerative braking, but it hasn't been certified by the state as an adequate braking source. So when technology gets there and manufacturers can find a state-approved braking system, I, I do believe we could put them in the mountains on our close foothill routes. The buses also have automatic snow chains, and in Thompson's opinion, are arguably even better at driving in snowy conditions because of their centralized weight system with the battery packs. The district was overall supported in these efforts, transitioning to electric buses, but then they received some flack from the community back in October, when word spread that they'd spent $715,000 on five new diesel-powered buses. At least the way I saw it, the, the couple articles that I read um, did seem like, oh no, Bull Valley, they're, they're, uh, they're not moving forward with their plans. But I think that's far from the truth. They, we are moving full, full force ahead, as much uh, electric as we can put on the road. Reasonably, sustainability, uh, as well thought out as we can, we're, we're trying to put them out there. Thompson says there was a valid reason for those purchases. The reasoning behind that is, is because we still have a lot of mountain routes, and currently our newest diesel bus is a 2012. So they're starting to age out. I would say our average diesel bus is still from the early 2000s, 2001, 2004, is the bulk of our diesel fleet, and those are starting to age out. So. We're, we're running low on options to still service our mountain communities. So those, those five buses are buying us time for the electric technology to get there. But even still, with our longer trip routes, we often run trips to Grand Junction, down to Pueblo, and those routes currently with any other bus, they don't have the range to quite do it yet. Mm -hmm. So as technology improves, we'll see our diesel fleet start going uh, less and less starting to move to alternative fuels. In other words, the purchase didn't represent a rejection of electric school buses or a fatal issue with inadequate charging stations. It was just in response to the routes. He says for the most part, though, the feedback has been very positive as the district works to integrate these electric buses. I don't think going electric is all that easy, and I think it uh, takes a lot of dedicated, thought-out time and it's too much for one person or one group to think through on their own. And anybody looking to go electric with their fleets, I would recommend pulling in third-party advisors to really help you think through all the challenges that will arise because they don't come without challenges. While electric vehicles aren't new, electric school buses are, and they fall under a whole different set of rules and technology and working through that with the manufacturers and the third-party suppliers and the charging companies and then with the infrastructure all of that in one piece i feel we're all learning together and we're all getting much better at it you need external support from third-party advisors to really work through this with you to help you take it on because it is a big undertaking one or two buses you can manage on your own you get 20 buses and it's it's a lot to wrap your head around. While it was viewed as daunting at the start, Thompson says the transition is getting smoother with help from advisors in the field of electric vehicles. As of right now, the district has six electric school buses, 47 unleaded buses, 43 propane buses, and 134 diesel buses. For KGNU and Report for America, I'm Jackie Sedley.
The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for snow tonight, heavy at times, with accumulations of 3 to 5 inches possible. It will be breezy, with a low around 10 degrees. Expect wintry conditions to continue on Thursday, with more snow and a high near 10 degrees. Thursday night calls for a 30% chance of snow, with a low near negative 5, and wind chills dipping to negative 15. Expect another windy day on Friday with partial sun and a high in the mid-teens. Friday night brings a 40% chance of snow showers and a low around 10 degrees. This has been the news for Wednesday, January 10th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, personal commentaries. Attention families with young children. Please join Bright Futures and Wilkinson Public Library on Saturday, January 20th for a free event on baby and toddler cues. In this class, you will learn how to understand your children as they communicate within the world around them. Families with children aged 0 to 3 are welcome. We invite you to bring your kids and we will be giving away prizes. The class runs from 9 to 10.30 a.m. at the library. Please contact Lindsay Dickinson at explorediscovermore at gmail.com for more details. See you on January 20th. Hey, this is Mary from the Telluride Historical Museum with your Miner's Minute. Freezing temperatures got you down? Looking for something warm and different to do? Have you always wondered if Tesla ever actually was in Telluride? Well, come on up to the museum to learn the facts about your town history and maybe a couple of good tales to boot. Especially if you haven't made it up the hill yet this winter season, be sure to check out our current exhibit, Festival Capital of the Rockies, 50 Years of Festival in Telluride. This fabulous exhibit takes you through 50 years of history here in Telluride. Which festival was the first in Telluride, you ask? Was it Bluegrass? The Film Festival? Perhaps the 4th of July? Come and discover the answer and more in the Weatherford Gallery. This exhibit will be open until we close for the off-season in April, so don't miss out. Interested in learning more when you're at home or on the go? Pick up a book from our shop detailing the early days of our rustic little corner of the world, or grab a DVD for some funky ski and snowboard history for a cozy night in. Also, be sure to check out our gift shop for some items we have on sale. We have some brand new inventory, including gems, toys, games, and vintage-inspired jewelry and accessories. Visit the Telluride Tourism Office to pick up a new copy of Telluride, the official guide, to read the most recent article written by our board member, Marty Davis, on the history of women in Telluride. For a quick read that's packed with facts about our current and historic fierce females of the valley, this article titled Mountain Women covers history from 1894 to 2024 and the funny, impactful, and courageous women who have lived in the Telluride area throughout the years. And yes, as the article says, ladies, the women do still in fact run this town. Want to read more about women in the area? If you haven't yet picked up your copy of Tomboy Bride, come up to the museum and snag your copy of this historic and thrilling personal account written by one of the first women to detail what it means to be a Telluride local. A reminder of our hours. We are open for the winter season Tuesday through Saturday, 10 to 5. And remember, Saturdays are always free for locals. Be sure to enter the museum before 4.30. Otherwise, if we don't see you there, we're closing the doors. If you have any additional questions, feel free to call the museum at 970 728-3344 or email info at telluridemuseum.org. We look forward to hearing from you. Hope to see you up on the hill on First Street soon or follow us on social media to keep in touch with what's up up at the museum. 
Thanks, Koto. You're a rare medium. Well done. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at Koto. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.